Thank you, Seth, and good morning to all of you. I'm glad you could make it. So glad you're here. We're actually starting a new series today on the book of Jeremiah. I'm going to read the first three verses. They won't seem like much when I read them. However, I hope that by the end of the sermon, you'll see that there's actually a lot behind them. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. This is the word of God. You can be seated. While you're being seated, would you please bow with me while I ask God's help and God's blessing on this time. Father, I want to ask for your help because, Lord, I am very needy. Lord, I pray that you would help not only myself, but, Lord, if we're all honest in here, we would all admit just how needy we are when it comes to the things of God. Lord, I pray that you would please Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your word. I pray also for every person in here. I know that each one of us come in here with different circumstances. Some of us are so glad to be here. Others may have been brought here and really didn't want to come. Others maybe woke up and thought, you know, I don't even know if I want to go, but I guess I'll go. And others, Lord, are here hoping praying that you would speak to them in their hurt. So, Father, we all come with many different backgrounds. However, I pray that your Spirit would do the work that only He can do in each one of our individual lives, Lord, to make us a body of Christ that are all united to glorify the head who is Jesus Christ. It's in His name that I pray. Amen. Well, I've got a, a Bible at home that's been with us to three different countries. When we were in Costa Rica, it went with me there. And then when we were missionaries in Belize, it went with me there, even into some of the jungles. And then I've got it here in the States with me now still. I love it. It's just a simple hardback NIV, the, one of the older translations um, before the latest revision. So I like it even better because of that. And it's just... With me, it's a, it's a large print, so it's easy to read. Not as large as Faustina's. You should ask her about hers one day. It's a large print, and I love it. And it's just a companion. I've preached out of it many times when I was overseas as well. So the pages are kind of yellowed. And you know, when you use a book a lot, the pages, they're, they're not nice and perfectly perpendicular like they were before. Some of them are higher and some are lower. But I was looking at it the other day when it was closed. And of course, the edges of the pages are now kind of yellowed a little bit where I've just touched them over the years and when they've gotten a little bit dirty. But there was one section, one skinny little sliver towards the middle that was still clean. Little small section, still clean. Pages weren't yellowed. Pages weren't kind of up and down, out of order, you know, like looking like I've used it a lot. And I thought, well, what's that about? What book is that that I haven't 
touched or read, obviously, in the past 15 years. And I turned to it, and it was the book of Jeremiah. And I've read this book, but I haven't read it in the last 15 years. And I thought, shame on me. It's a really great book. It's a book that's very applicable to where we are in our day as well. I'll tell you more about that in a second. But I thought, well, we need to remedy this. I'm going to go through it. I'm not only going to go through it, I'm going to preach through it. Now, if I'm not mistaken, it's the longest of all the prophetic books. Now, Isaiah has more chapters, but if I'm not mistaken, this is actually longer because of the words. So you're thinking, oh, brother, how many years are we going to be in this book? He just read the first three verses. We're going to be here for a while. Well, we're going to hit the high points because a lot of it is very, especially the first half is a lot of um, poetic type prophecies. So we're going to hit the high points, but it is a applicable book to where we are. Why? Well, the people in this day were very wicked. (laughs) They were very wrong in a lot of their beliefs. However, they were at the same time very religious. And you think, well, how is that applicable to our day? I wouldn't say that we're religious as a nation. Well, yes, we are. And by religious, I don't mean Christian per se. I just mean religious. I don't equate those two words. I don't think those words are the same because you can be religious but not Christian. We have a lot of talk in our day. People will, even on TV, even leaders who we know are walking unrighteously, they'll talk about God. They'll talk about blessings. They'll talk about all these things, religious talk. But if you just watch their lives for five seconds and you realize they're not walking according to the word of God. And so you have people, very religious, but also very wicked, according to what the Bible calls sin, which is the real definition of sin, because who it's from. He creates truth. And so you have this man, Jeremiah, in the midst of that day, speaking truth, standing against it. And let me tell you something. You're going to be amazed. You may not have realized this. Did you realize the ministry of Jeremiah, it went roughly five decades. Children, that's 50 years. That's longer than I've been alive. Okay? Longer than, because I'm only 27. I'll be 44 this month, actually. That's longer than I've been alive. This man stayed true to the calling of God throughout all this time. Some of it wasn't as bad. Some of it was kind of encouraging even, which we're going to see in a moment. But a lot of it was just very discouraging, especially because this man was given the role of preaching against the wickedness again and again and again and again. And you know, don't you, that men who speak out against cultural wickedness, you know, those men are so popular, aren't they? Everybody loves them. No, they're very disliked. Their names get dragged through the mud. All kinds of rumors and things get told about them. Everybody hates them for the most part. 
And so 50 years. That's why I've titled this message this morning and really the whole series, Jeremiah Standing Against the Tide. Because if you've ever been to the ocean, and I know you have because you live in Alabama, and I think the only vacations, but I think, isn't it, I think it's an, an obligation if you have an Alabama birth certificate, I think you're obligated to go to Gulf Shores every summer, right? I mean, isn't that a rule or something? You've been to the beach. You know that when you're standing there in the waves and you try to stand against them, you've really got to hunker down. They knock you over if you're not careful. And so we can usually stand against one wave and we say, okay, I took that one pretty good. But 50 years, 50 years of standing against wave after wave after wave, it starts to wear you down and you start to get discouraged. And you maybe even are tempted to quit. If you've been in the faith for very long, you know what I'm talking about. You know that sometimes you just get so tired of the cultural wickedness of standing again and again against sin and saying that's actually wrong and having people say, you're a hater. You're so backwards. You're old-fashioned. That book is, was written so long ago, you really believe that. You believe a snake talked. You believe a donkey talked. You believe, you believe a whale swallowed a man and then spit him back up on the shore. Yes, that's exactly what I believe because that's exactly what Jesus believed. Jesus said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, For three days, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days. And on the third day, he'll rise again. So Jesus said, just as Jonah's Jonah's being in the belly of the whale was real, so my resurrection is real. So yeah, I do believe those things because Jesus believed those things. And so I would say, I'm on the right side but not because I got myself there. Not because Cohen Ezel was so smart. No. It was actually a wretched, miserable, sinful fool. And I'm glad none of you knew me when I was in that state. Only one lady in here knew me when I was in that state, and God saved us both out of that state. But God saved me and convinced me of this truth. And so I stand with Jesus. And so, yes, you... Standing with Jesus, you'll stand against the tide. You will have to stand against the tide. Again, and again, and again. Because those of you, as R.C. Sproul says, with snow on the roof, you remember how things were 50, 60, 70 years ago. Would you say, as a nation, we're getting more godly? No. The trajectory we're going in is the same trajectory things were going in in Jeremiah's day. Now, there were glimpses. There were glimpses of hope, as we're going to see here. But even in his day, there was, there was things that happened that we could point out and we could say, that's amazing. Roe v. Wade overturned. Praise Jesus. Oh, look at this church doing this wonderful thing. Praise God. They're making a difference. And, and look at this. This great book came out and it's flooding all over. Like years ago when... Radical came out and just 
that was a great thing. And so we see those things. We say, praise Jesus for that. But we do also see the overall pendulum seems to be swinging in the direction of a nation on a downfall. This book will encourage you. Because you'll, you'll know, I'm not alone. Other men have had to stand in a culture like this as well. So let's talk about the context in which people lived before Jeremiah and Josiah came around. Because you see, it says that um, the word of the Lord came to this prophet in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon. Now, you might not be as familiar with your Old Testament. That's okay. That's why I love preaching through the Old Testament, because most of us just aren't as familiar with the Old Testament as you are with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Parts of the Old Testament we do know are Genesis, maybe parts of Exodus even, and Psalms and Proverbs. But otherwise, we're kind of like, yeah, I don't know a lot about it. Well, let me tell you, this man here, Josiah, if you know about him, you hear the mention of his name, you get excited, because what a man. God used him in a mighty way. However, what he did seemed so amazing because of the darkness that he was actually living in. Let me tell you about the context in which the people were living before Josiah came around. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. There was a king named Manasseh. He was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, okay? Verse 2, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For, verse 3, he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, high places were places that were high up on a mountain, where people would worship pagan false gods. They call those the high places. Any mention of a high place in the Old Testament, it's a bad thing, okay? So Manasseh rebuilds the high places that his father Hezekiah had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal, that's a false god, and made an Asherah, another false god, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, will I put my name? And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And look at verse 6. And he burned his son as an offering and used fortune-telling and omens and dealt with mediums and necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of Asherah that he had made, he set in the house of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon and his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever, and I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander any more out of the land that I have given to their fathers, if only they'll be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen, and Manasseh led them astray to do more evil, listen to this, than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. See, now you've got Israel, the chosen people of God, 
being more wicked than the wicked nations around them. Israel, the ones whom God gave the law, the ones who God personally revealed himself to, rescued out of Egypt, all these things, showed his mighty power, says, these are my special people, ended up being more wicked. So this is the context in which Josiah enters into. This is the world in which Josiah was born up into, a very wicked nation. Josiah becomes king when he's eight years old. Eight years old. And let me tell you, for an eight-year-old and a man who's just young into his teenage years, he's actually pretty awesome. Some of you young people, some of you youth, need to look to Josiah. Because see, sometimes youth get a pass for being youth. And I wish we didn't do this as adults. We say, oh, they're, they're young and all these things. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were also teenagers, we believe, thrown to the fiery furnace. They were the only three who didn't bow down to the image. Imagine you, young people, actually led and said, no, that's evil. Very, very few young people and teenagers standing up for truth Most young people and teenagers go along with the herd. You know why? Because they don't want people to point at them and say, you're stupid. Look at him. God forbid you should be made fun of. God forbid your feelings should get hurt for standing up for truth. Stand up for truth and make God happy. Who cares what your friends say? They won't be around anyway in a few years. Trust me but you'll have to stand before God one day. So here's Josiah, a young man, standing up for truth. One thing he does, just towards the beginning of his reign, is he starts to repair the temple. It had been left, and people didn't really care about it that much anymore because their focus had gone to the Baals, all these false gods. And so he starts rebuilding it. He starts giving money for it to be repaired. He sends a man named Shaphan, he's like a secretary, and says, hey, Go to the temple, count all the offerings that are coming in, make a record of it, and then give that money to the carpenters, the builders, and the masons so that they can start repairing the temple. Some of you know this story. Shaphan gets there. The high priest, Hilkiah, says to him, Hey, Shaphan, we found this this scroll of the law while we were cleaning things up in the temple. (laughs) It had gotten forgotten. And Shaphan says, really? Takes it to the king, Josiah. Reads it to the king. We believe it was the scroll of Deuteronomy, which is a, like a summation of the law. It's the fifth book of the Bible in the Old Testament, part of the law. That's why they call it the book of the law. And they read it to Josiah, probably the first time he's ever heard the law in its totality, which is a shame These are the people of Israel. They don't even understand or know the law. And I can just picture him as Shaphan's reading it to him. He's probably just pacing back and forth as he's hearing all these things for the first time. And he's saying, oh my gosh, really? Keep reading. Oh my gosh, really? Oh wow, oh my gosh. And he's realizing just how evil 
the people of Israel had become because of just how far they've turned from the word of God as a nation. Sound familiar? When you turn from the word of God as an individual or as a nation, evil, darkness, wickedness creeps in. There's no neutral ground. You need to know this. There's no neutral ground. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. You might say, I don't hate Jesus. She's not a Christian. I don't hate the Bible. I just don't, you know, believe it. And Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. I say, wow, preacher, that's really black and white. I mean, that's really, no gray area? No, there's actually not. There's actually not. And why would you want there to be gray area? Why would you want to live in the gray area? God is all about absolute truth. And if you don't have absolute truth, what can you stand on? (laughs) It's sinking sand otherwise. And Josiah realizes there's absolute truth. And we've been wrong this whole time. And he rips his clothing. If you're not familiar, that's a very Jewish way of showing just how distraught you are. He rips his clothing and he says, oh my gosh, we've sinned against the Lord. What are we going to do? And they go and they talk to a prophet. It's actually a prophetess. It's a woman. And she says, judgment's coming upon Israel for all their wickedness. But you, Josiah, you will be spared from it. The Lord has seen how repentant you were, how affected you were by the truth. And you actually won't see the judgment. You'll live your life before the judgment falls on the nation. Josiah does some very radical reforms. And if you want to read a chapter in the Bible that'll make you just stand up and say, yes! 2 Kings 23. Just sit down and read it one day and you will stand up and shout and say, That's my man. Josiah is awesome. Let me just read to you some of the things he did. He he gathers all the elders from Judah, because he's the king in the southern kingdom. He gathers all the leaders together, and he makes a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commands and his testimonies, his statutes, with all of his heart and soul, to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book. And all the people join in and say, we agree with you. That's in uh, verses uh, 3 and, um, of, of that chapter. And then also, he brings out of the temple, it says, um, all the vessels from Baal and Asherah. Okay? Uh, that's going to be in verse 4, which I'm just kind of covering the highlights of this chapter. Okay? Just covering the highlights. He burns them, pulls these idols, idols out of the temple, and burns them and grinds them up into powder. He gets all the priests who were serving these false prophets, I mean, uh, uh, false idols, and he deposes them. He says, hey, you're fired. (laughs) Get out and don't ever come back. He orders them never to make offerings on the high places again. He brings out the Asherah, this, this, this big idol from the house of God, burns it, beats it to dust, And then listen to this. This is in verse 7 of that chapter. Listen to this. He broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord, where the women 
wove hangings for Asherah. Male cult prostitutes were in the temple. And that was how you worshipped these false gods, was with these male cult prostitutes. In the temple. So, when we hear about certain people being leaders in churches, it's not new. Okay? There's been evil sneaking its way in to God's holy places for thousands of years. And radical reforms need to take place. And they only take place when people get serious about the word of God. Radical reforms will only take place in your heart and in your home and in your mind when you get serious about the word of God. There's no, have more positive thoughts. That's not gonna help you. There's no, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do it. No, you can't. There's no, you know what? Just make a few little change. No, you require a heart change, and only God can change the heart. Sure, you can change your habits, but that won't change your heart. Change happens from the inside out. The heart of your problem is the problem of your heart, and only God can change the heart. And God had gripped Josiah's heart. He breaks down the high places. He defiles this place called Topheth, where all the people would bring sons and daughters to be burned. Yes, even Israel was entering into child sacrifice, thinking the killing of children was no big deal. Sound familiar? Sure, they're not burned after they're already born, but they're killed before they're born, and they're still children. And that's happening in our nation. And that's not to shame anyone who's had an abortion. Because there's forgiveness for you. And there's healing for you. But look at our nation. What does it say about women's health? What about the little women inside the womb? Killing them is not so healthy. And he removes horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun, S-U-N, at the entrance of the house of the Lord. Big two horse idols at the entrance of the temple. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. And then verses 19 and 20, it says, Josiah removed all the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to all that had been done at Bethel, and he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there, on the altars and burn human bones on them. That's to defile them. And he returned to Jerusalem. <laughs> wow. He got serious. The word of God affecting his heart affected his actions. If your actions in your life aren't changed, I doubt your heart's changed. And that's the word of God showing that. If there's been a real change in your heart, it'll show itself by how you live. My old pastor told me 
What you say you believe is not what you believe. I've shared some of this. I've shared this with some of you all before. He said, what you say you believe is not what you believe. I thought, of course it is. He said, no, what you live is what you believe. And that's so true. Is it? I mean, it is. What you live, that's what you truly believe. So you're saying, I thought this was a sermon series about Jeremiah. I'm not hearing much about this Jeremiah just yet. No, you're not, because I want to give you the historical background of where Jeremiah is living, because he says that he started prophesying in the days of Josiah, this Josiah who we're just talking about. He started prophesying in those days. So he would have known, he would have seen these radical reforms, and he actually approved of this king. He, he, he mentions it later on, I believe it's chapter 22. He likes Josiah a lot. But the sons of Josiah, who came along after him, sadly, the Bible tells us that they were evil. They also became kings after Josiah's death. And the Bible says that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And how heartbreaking it is when a righteous parent, a godly, God-following parent, sees his children walking in unrighteousness or in evil. It's just it's heartbreaking. Josiah was already gone when his sons began to rule, but they did evil, it says, in God's sight. And it also says that Jeremiah was prophesying in their days. There were a total of 42 kings in Israel during the time when the kings started to when the exile happened, to when the bad guys came and took Israel away into exile. 42 kings, because as you know, the nation split, and so each nation, each part of the nation had their own kings. 42. And did you know this? If you took a test, if you were given a test, it says, here's all 42 kings. I just want you to write beside their names which ones were good and which ones were bad. That's all you got to do. Good, bad, good, bad. There's the test. Listen to this. If you just put that they were all bad, just started at the beginning. Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, you just went all the way down. Bad, 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 bad. They're all bad. You'd still pass the test with a C. I did the math here. You'd get a 73.8% on that test, okay? Because only 11 of them were good. That's how many of them were bad. If you just put they were all bad, you'd still get a C and pass the test, So it's not as though God was quick in judging them either. He's very patient. He's very patient. Um, But the momentum of God's wrath couldn't be turned at the point of Josiah. Josiah's reforms were great, and praise God for them, but it just wasn't enough because the momentum of God's wrath was coming. And Josiah's reforms stayed his hand momentarily, but there was just such a weight behind that hand to punish all the wickedness that had been there. Listen to 2 Kings 23, verses 26 and 27. 2 Kings 23, verses 26 and 27. Still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. 
And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also because the other kingdom, Israel, the northern kingdom, they'd already been carried away because of their wickedness because they were much more wicked. I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel. And I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. He even said, I'll cast off the house, meaning the temple will be destroyed. And it was. It was. But God wasn't quick to judgment. Listen to 2 Chronicles 36, verses 15 and 16. 2 Chronicles 36, verses 15 and 16. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Mocking the messengers of God despising his words. This Jeremiah was one of those messengers that had to stand up against the tide and say, no, that's evil, that's wicked, that flies in the face of all that's righteous and holy and good and proper according to the word of God, that's evil. But if you return, if you turn and return, God will forgive you even now. And the people simply said, shut up. We don't like you. You're wrong in our day. You're a hater. Go away. Who cares? And the Lord would send them again. Go speak against the evil once again. Tell them to turn and repent. Tell them I'll forgive them if they turn and repent. This is what we're talking about here in 2 Chronicles 36. Sent, it says sent persistently. Messengers. He was persistent. You know what it means if you're persistent? It means you ask again and again and again. We have a saying, persistence wears down resistance. It's just, hey, if you keep being persistent, 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 usually someone says, okay, okay, I'll do it. Right? God was persistent. It's not as though they slipped once and God said, that's it. Lightning bolts, fire, earth, open. No, he has done that, but only after he was so patient, so patient, so patient. If you're sitting in this room right now and you're not saved or you're not even sure that you are, God's being so patient with you. He's calling you through this sermon even now to turn away from your sins and repent. He's calling you. He's telling you, I made a way for you to be saved. Now here's the thing, I haven't even mentioned that way. I haven't even mentioned it. I've gone this whole sermon and not even mentioned to you what the Lord has done for you, but we get a hint of it even in the Old Testament. He sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, scoffing at his prophets. Sound familiar? It should, because that's exactly what they did to the Lord Jesus. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. So this is now over a thousand years later. Jesus Christ has been sent. God Almighty has come in human flesh to dwell among us and to become like us so that he can take the punishment 
that should be ours? Why would he do that? Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Jeremiah, he's one of them. But in these last days, what's he done? He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. How did he make purifications for sins? Jesus Christ came in human flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, never sinned, not once. He was perfect in every way. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, as we are, yet without sin. He was sinless, keeping the law perfectly. We're sinful. We've broken God's law so many times. Ever told a lie in your life? Probably just one, right? Just one. It's probably just one of those that we call White lies, right? Those aren't so bad, are they? White lies. A lie is a lie is a lie. And you know, just like me, you told way more than just one. Ever stole anything? Even something small? If you thought no in your head, we've already proven that you're a liar. Come on now. Of course you have. All of us have. And that's, not to, and that's just two of the Ten Commandments. We've got eight more pointing back at us that we haven't even covered. If you were to stand before Almighty God today and he were to judge you by the Ten Commandments, you know you'd be guilty. But see, Jesus was not guilty of any of them. And he died to take the punishment that you deserve. God's wrath that should be falling on you, Jesus absorbed that on your behalf. He's a law keeper, you're a law breaker. He's sinless, you're sinful. And the Bible says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And by faith in what he did for you, through repenting of those sins that you're guilty of and putting your faith and trust in what he did, you can be saved from your sins. The Bible makes that so very clear. And that's the best news you'll ever hear. That's why we actually call it the good news. That's what the word gospel means. And though Jesus came with that message and with that truth, he was mocked. He was hated. People looked in Jesus' face and said, you have a demon in you. (laughs) Oh no, he's no demon. He's the righteous son of God. And those of us who know him love him so much. He's the greatest prophet. All prophets actually point to him as we'll see as we keep going through this book. So Christian, be encouraged. Jeremiah knows what it's like to stand in a culture where wave after wave of wickedness continues to hit you in the face and you have to keep standing on the truth even though people hate you. Lost person in this room this morning, you can be encouraged as well because God's reaching out to you right now and offering you forgiveness. And guess what? It's free. You just have to come humbly, lay down at his feet and say, you're the Lord and I believe this truth. Please forgive me. I trust that your son already took my punishment and that's the good news. 
Father, we thank you for this truth, and we pray that you would please help us to be like the prophets of old, stand on the truth no matter what, not be ashamed of it. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your truth. I pray that you would help us to walk in it. Give us grace to walk in it, and I pray that you've been speaking to hearts this morning to turn from sins, to begin to walk in greater obedience to you. And I pray that you would give us the power to do that because in and of our own strength, we can't do it. I know my track record apart from you. But I know that with you, we can do all things. Pray this in Jesus' perfect name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.